This is a space where we explore what it means to live our nature. Vibrant, multidimensional, attuned, creative, in collaboration with nature. Because this is how we experience the fullness of life and relationships, love and creative expression. And I believe that living our lives in this way, as a kind of practice of inhabiting our wholeness, is also how we offer our greatest contributions to the collective. I'm Gray Tanner, and this is The Luminous Slow. Mm. Welcome back to the pod, my loves. The sun has just come out a little bit ago for the first time in what feels like days. And that feels so perfect because today, my loves, I want to talk about love. And I know I pretty much always want to talk about love, or maybe you don't know that yet. But today, some of what that means is talking about the sneaky and insidious ways that we find to keep ourselves from love, even when we desire it, and especially when we desire it. And how it's often the case that we don't know that we're getting in our own way, that we don't realize we're unconsciously blocking or resisting because deep down we're feeling afraid or we feel unworthy or undeserving to experience the fullness of love. Which is also to talk about how we're really keeping ourselves from ourselves and disembodied. You know, these have been some of our things so far. And because I think, fuck this shit, we need and deserve more love in the world. I also want to explore some of the ways that we can get out of our own way. How we can relearn to come home to ourselves. To cultivate and experience more love and worthiness and belonging in our bodies and in our relationships and in our whole ass lives. And I want to talk about all of that by starting with a lot of the ways that I've gotten in my own way through my own unconscious chronic self-loathing and disembodiment. Because what feels for what feels a very long time I didn't love myself and I didn't know that I didn't love myself deep down. And I think that a lot of that was because I had, I I had been so disconnected from my own body and my, and my feelings for so long and so focused on the external world and everyone else. And you might've heard me say before, just living like really cerebrally for a long time. So I couldn't really feel the truth of my relationship with myself for a long time. I thought that I loved myself. And I realized not too long ago that I didn't. So these last couple of years, since I quit my corporate job and undertook this whole journey to live more authentically and to build a home for myself and my life, 
I've been doing a lot more work and reflection on what are some of the common denominators and life patterns of mine to excavate what really is my essence, like to really hone in on what animates me and motivates me so that my purpose can be better revealed and I can better design my life in alignment with all of that. So I've been thinking a lot about this, like, and the core, what I'm realizing, the core of what's always motivated me, moved me forward in life, has been love. Experiencing it, sharing it, just the desire to be held in it and nourished. And when I reflect on many of the themes of my life, like professions and, and tra tracts that I've been drawn to or engaged with, all of that, like art, beauty, helping others, helping professions, community, relationships, uh, spirit, the natural world. All of that is to me, in essence, about love. Like their love's expression and love's channels. But it took me a long time to recognize that that was the essential through line, you know. So for a lot of my life, thinking about love was mostly something I understood as about relationship between humans. That that's what was most called love and most valued, it seemed to me, in the collective. And I'd learned that love is something I get from others. It's something that I exchange with others, something outside of me and the self itself. And there was talk of God and, you know, God being somehow love and all of that too. But again, as I think about this context of like love between humans as this like pinnacle experience, love is what I wanted more than anything else. And since that's what I wanted most, I became very focused outside of me. That's where I went looking for it to get love in me. And that got very complicated because a lot of my early life showed me that love between humans wasn't safe for me anyway his love had really brutalized me in a lot of ways and for a lot a lot of years but since i'd learned that this kind of human love is the most important thing the fact that i wasn't getting what i'd been taught to understand was real love I came to believe it was like, was like something about me that was making it hard for people in my life to love me. Like, like I thought I was supposed to be loved, like I thought love was supposed to feel. And I, I just think that it was easier, like, psychically than thinking that, like, quote, real love and the idealized love were, like, lies. Or easier than thinking that certain people in my life, some of whom weren't likely to be going anywhere, were incapable of love or maybe just didn't really love me or want to take care of me. So like with the, with the self-loathing scenario at least, 
if it's that something's wrong with me, then I can hope that can hopefully be fixed. I can try harder and do better and be a good girl and then I can have the thing. But if I were to believe in the latter narrative, that they just didn't love me or they were incapable of love, then that would have meant a loss of all hope. So I believed that a lot of the mistreatment and the brutality of love was my fault. And I'm not going to go into the details on the mistreatment and brutality today, but if you haven't listened to episodes two and three, I go into some of my childhood trauma and abuse history, and you can listen to those if you're curious to know more of what I'm alluding to here and how that all weaves in. And so people who were abusing me in different ways kept saying that they loved me and did express love and kindness in some other ways. And that felt really good at times. And it was, it was like enough, enough of the time to keep me holding on to hope of something better. And they also kept hurting and betraying and violating me. And sometimes shaming and blaming me for what was being done to me. So where I was looking for safety and belonging and nourishment and love, I got a lot of confusion and brutality. And over time, I came to associate love unconsciously with violence and brutality. I developed this very distorted understanding. And eventually, I turned all of that on myself. First, I began to hate my body. And I was by no means alone in that campaign, in fairness, but I developed an eating disorder as an early teen. It's like in the depths of the fucked up times. And I was bulimic to varying extremes for several years. I think I was like 19 before I moved away from actual purging. And I... And really, I wouldn't heal my relationship with food and nourishment for a long time after that. Um, I think there's a lot of just disordered relationship with, uh, distorted relationship with food in our culture anyway. So, you know, that was all there and then there were these other layers. So, but I, I do believe that some of those impulses And that eating disorder for me were about attempting to exert control over something in my life, like in a life that felt very chaotic in a lot of ways. But, you know, my body was something that I had a modicum of control over. So I do believe there's that. And I'm understanding more recently that a lot of that turmoil was also about a yearning for love. And so it's making more and more sense to me now that that that's where I chose to begin with my self-loathing, was with brutalizing and violating my body. Because we learn through modeling, right? We do what feels easiest. And 
my body is what had seemed easy for others to violate, what they'd violated first and used often to violate me in other ways. These ones who told me that they loved me and the ones I thought loved me. So now it doesn't seem so far of a stretch that, that I actually thought that when I was making myself vomit, it was because I loved myself. That I was helping myself somehow. And that by trying to keep my body looking and performing a certain way, actually trying to make myself more appealing, better, I'd be more worthy of love and belonging. So I thought that I was helping myself to experience safety and love. And there was this paradox in that I was trying to get more attention through my body as a pathway to love, while also carrying a lot of fear of garnering too much attention like at the wrong time or in the wrong place or the wrong mood from those I associated with love and having love. So I was doing violence to myself for the sake of worthiness, trying to pull love toward me while also still feeling damaged and unworthy and then bracing against the love that I desperately wanted. And there are other ways that I, I chronically brutalized myself for love. Like punishing, punishing self-criticism and shaming of all kinds. Because again, external modeling. And that, that developed into these perfectionist performative tendencies that I was challenged with for a long time. Like started with academic performance, all the honors, all the sports good girl, people-pleasing, suppressing my needs, porous boundaries, you know, hustling for validation and love and attention and all the things. And so for so long in my life, experiencing this safe, deep, nourishing love, true love, felt like this prospect of following breadcrumbs, where it was like enough to keep me holding on to hope that I'd eventually get to have all the love I could feast on. I, if I just kept pushing forward, if I kept trying harder. While keeping me far enough from the good shit that, like, deep down, I also didn't really feel like I deserved. And because I wanted love more than anything else, keeping myself at some distance from healthy expressions of love and, you know, with people or leaning into the fullness, it meant that I was also protecting myself from total annihilation through heartbreak, you know, or, or, the, or worse, that possibility that capital L love was a lie. So I had this just ugly, distorted push-pull happening in the shadows of my psyche for a long time. And, I, and so I've realized that I spent a lot of my life protecting myself from love. And I still do. And I'm not, I know I'm not alone in this. I've seen this again and again. 
And, and I think that a lot of us are challenged by this in different ways. That these are some of the ways that we twist ourselves and unconsciously allow our wounds to shape us into things and people that we're not. You know, and I've also learned that we are always in motion and evolving and we're resilient and so we can go deep and unwind. We can clear those distortions from the channels of love. It's, it's taken me a long time to unwind things in myself. Um, and like I said, I still have I still have a long way to go. And I imagine that some of you listening to this or are aware that I'm in partnership. This summer I'll have been with my partner eight years and it feels like the most expansive and nourishing love that I've experienced so far in my life. I fell in love hard and fast and full when I wasn't really looking and pretty soon after we began dating, I found I felt like I had found my person. And our love has allowed me to blossom and heal and share love in ways that I, I never could have imagined. And it's big and magnetic and visceral. I know some of, I know some of y'all will have heard me talk about this before and, and others of you especially those in our, our burner and psychonaut communities and things who have experienced my partner and me together. And in those spaces where we're really open and in our love and in our heart space, who have felt our alchemy as something really special. So many people have reflected over the years that our love inspires them. Like I remember not long into our relationship, we were out at one of our favorite cocktail spots. I was sitting outside by a fire and maybe we were smoking cigars, I can't remember, but we were just canoodling and uh, making googly eyes at each other and conversating and all the things. And this woman seated nearby got up to leave. And then on her way out, she walked over and she was like, something like, I've been watching you two all night. And I just wanted to say that whatever you're doing, please keep doing it because it's, it's amazing. And I could feel it all the way over there and just like, wow. And unlike any other relationship I've had, like every year, ours has only grown more rich. Like it was, it was really good then and it's gotten so much better. I feel so grateful and I've gotten a lot of what I've always wanted. So maybe it comes as a surprise to hear that I've been really afraid of and protecting myself in ways from that love. Like when you see me loving a big man big. But for me, this bigger love has meant bigger triggers. There's more on the line. 
this big love has triggered a lot of that unresolved, unintegrated stuff from my past. And it's been this relationship, the one that's shown the most loving light on me, that has also allowed me to see my darkest love and worthiness shadows. You know, it's it's thrown that into sharp relief. It's that that has shown me that deep down I hadn't been loving myself and that I'd been scared to fully trust and surrender because I imagined I'd eventually be abandoned or betrayed. And it's taken a lot of time and effort to excavate and work with and heal that. But I have been able to see that a lot of my challenges in love and relationships over my life and I, and I don't just mean romantic and sexual aspects of these, but these love challenges have been born of the lack of self-love and worthiness. Because I haven't been able to fully embody love and worthiness. I haven't been able to receive or express the fullness of love. Like, I haven't fully been in the channel. You know, and a lot of people will say that you can't love someone else if you don't love yourself first. And I don't think it's that simple. Because part of love is relational. You know, we, we learn it through others. We share it with others. There's a, a bi-directional relationship happening. And sometimes multi-directional relationships when it comes to giving and receiving. But I have learned that there's a lot of love available to us, around us, and within us, but we have to open to it. And no one can do that for us. They, they can and do invite us, certainly, but the embodying and the opening to receive and experience, that's our work. And as I've learned through this partnership, just how deep some of my distortions go, I've been able to see more clearly in all the other areas of my life and relationships they run through. You know, because I take me everywhere, right? So, so cultivating self-love has been a lot of my work in the last five years or so. And I've made pretty incredible strides the last three, four years, I, I, I want to say. Um, and it's been through an increasingly integrative approach to love and relating. So five years ago, not long after I moved into this apartment, which uh, is my first, which was my first like solo, unfurnished, clean slate sort of place that I'd ever lived in as an adult, I which is to say I felt like I had a lot of autonomy over what could happen here. I started a self-love practice through interior design and curation. And I started here because I understood the impact of environment on the nervous system and well-being, and I knew that a lot of the hows and the whys of my own challenges were due to what was programmed in my nervous system and my brain from a young age. And so I realized not only the importance of tending to that space to support repatterning work and healing in my system, but also the potency of using interior design to support my interior redesign 
in whatever ways that might show up, but to supercharge it, to accelerate or amplify work in these other spaces, right? And because we, we learn through relating and we relate to our environment. So it reflects ourselves to ourselves. Our home reflects ourselves to ourselves, just like our lovers and our friends do. So we can learn a lot about ourselves and about how we feel about ourselves and our lives through the lens of the home. And my self-work with my home has been life-changing. I feel that it's catalyzed so much. We get so much of my expansion and healing in my life and in this partnership. And so we will definitely talk more about that on this show. Um, that this, this domain of the home is very potent for self-actualization work. So I was a couple years or so into this loving home practice and more nervous system healing and things. And then I remember it was like three years ago that I got to this place of feeling like I could lean a bit further into this love embodiment work. I'd like, I'd peeled back some more layers and all of that. So I initiated this like official body love quest and I was 39 and I decided that I wasn't gonna just accept my body, which was the, the level to which I had gone at that point in time after a lot of work, I was accepting. Um, but finally, I wanted to fall in love with my body. And so as that got on, and I was able to cultivate more love for certain of these more like easy things on my body, about my body, then I moved onto the trickier parts. And partway through the year, I decided that I was going to fall in love with my pussy. So by this time, I'd already been some years into a more, I would say, conscious sexuality and Eros healing journey, like exploring through coming out and uh, kink and BDSM communities, non-monogamy, etc. But I still, but through the years, I was still holding shame around my pussy and just myself as a sexual and erotic being. And I wanted to rewrite those stories. I felt that I needed to. And then two years ago, so some months later, about two years ago, after I'd laid some groundwork in these different ways through self-coaching, and I began a, a somatic self-coaching certification program with my teacher, Layla Martin. And this is focused on sex, love, and relationships. And that had me signed on for multiple years then of support and self-mastery practice in these spaces and like through her and her team's guidance and and my peers and all the things and so that whole initiation and multi-dimensional process has been profound um so that was all going on and in episode three called finding love in the dark I shared about another love quest, one that I initiated also a few years ago, to fall in love with winter, which, which also ended up unintentionally being another of a quest to fall in love with, my, my, with myself. 
So there were all these layers of embodiment work concurrent and overlapping and growing in these recent years. So coming back to the beginning where I was talking about this deeper excavation of my essence and what moves me forward and all of that. Like it's been a few years now of already knowing that a lot of my purpose would be revealed through love. And that cultivating a home in my life would require cultivating love in my body and all these spaces. Like I had enough clarity to be like, okay, this whole ass situation <laughs> needs more love internally, externally. Like that was coming through strong. And the work with these different expressions of love was all weaving together during this period. And I've experienced this integrative approach as amplifying the transformation and healing experience through individual aspects. As I've like played with how I married different inner and outer, or sorry, inner and somatic work modalities and practices and like observed over time, the more diverse and integrative I've become in my approach, the more supportive it's all become for me in my life. But it's just been this whole system's healing. Which makes sense. You know, we are integrated. And it's been interesting just how, it, how it's all evolved. And with this layering um, and the potency of that, how with time I've been able to go to other parts of myself and deeper inward to meet places where I haven't felt love and worthiness or where I've been in resistance to opening to and experiencing love fully. But it definitely feels like a lot of my ability and the process for cultivating genuine self-love as a being has come through cultivating love of and through my body. And what's been, what's been really profound First to just touch, and then to learn to embody more and more, is that love doesn't actually come from others. We don't get love from others. It's been amusing, though now I wouldn't necessarily say surprising, I think given all the cosmic paradoxes that we seem to swim in, but I really started this deep work on loving myself in large part so that I could receive love from others and exchange with others. Like, like that conditioning runs deep, y'all. Like only to come to learn that I don't actually need others to experience love or the fullness of love. That others activate love in me or amplify love or invite me into a more charged current say, or they reflect love to me. And all of that makes my life more exquisite and delicious, absolutely. But they are not my source. I am. That love is a being state, and it's my original being state. It's who I was before I learned as a little girl who to be. And I can access and embody love in so many ways. Through my five senses and communing with nature and spirit and self-pleasure and breath and dance 
and mindfully moving my body and meditation and being held in this beautifully sensual womb of a home that I've created for myself, like in so many other ways. And as I've expanded my awareness around love and, and its expressions, and I've realized that I am one of them, I've been able to put a hell of a lot more love out into the world too. Like I've been able to love my partner more fully, which has invited him to love me more fully, which has then invited me to trust and open more to love and to feel more generous with my love, which has invited him to trust and open more. And oh, look, look at that upward spiral of love that we've just found ourselves in. And this has happened in so many spaces in my life. It can begin with us, and sometimes it must. So, yeah, I was self-sabotaging like a motherfucker for a long time. And I feel so grateful that it's not my default anymore. Or I should say most of the time in like more circumstances. And I'm... I'm so grateful that I get to experience love in all of the ways that I do now. And I feel excited for so many ways that I have yet to open into it that know is available. And it's been some grueling work to find my way home. Just to like meet all of that material and the parts within me that are trying to protect me that still think I'm that little girl who yearns for love. And to witness those parts and hear those stories with compassion. Those other parts of myself, meet them with grace for thinking and acting in those ways. And to help them rewrite some of those narratives. So I do want to share something of more practical application for y'all here. I utilize parts work for some of my inner work. And if you're not familiar, this framework comes from Dick Schwartz. He's a therapist and the creator of Internal Family Systems, or IFS, which he created about 40 years ago, I believe. So IFS is based on the understanding Schwartz developed after many years of clinical research with patients, that we are not mono, one personality, but multi. That we have sub-personalities comprising a system, hence the internal family. And these sub-personalities develop as adaptive responses to life experiences and then take on certain roles within the psyche system. And some of those roles are maladaptive. So we're operating in these kinds of fractured ways, internally and unconsciously and subconsciously, some of us more than others, again, because childhood trauma and stress and our adaptations to them and all that. And we can use the body to access and work with these inner parts, meaning that IFS is a form of somatic psychotherapy. 
So we work to evolve the roles of certain parts within the psyche into more supportive ones. And in this way, work to reintegrate them into the core or the essential self. Think of like a capital S self. So as I'm talking about these inner tensions where a part of me is yearning for and trying to pull love and another part or parts are trying to protect against it, I'm talking about some of my sub-personalities with conflicting roles. So they're, they're what, what's called protector parts. And they can take on these distorted protective roles to protect the inner child from further wounds. And they tend to end up acting in self-sabotaging ways. And there are a lot of ways that this, this self-sabotaging push-pull thing can happen with love and worthiness and belonging. So it can look like declaring that you want love and feel like you're always looking for it and open to it, but end up turning away when someone that you also want wants to get serious. And maybe you think you leave because about because of their inadequacies or that it just wasn't the right fit or something and you go on feeling like you just can't seem to find someone right? protector parts can encourage you to play it safe in relationships so this can be in who you choose to be with or stay with like partners who don't light you up maybe they're stable or they don't challenge you too much because who knows if there's anything better and Gosh, it'd be a lot of work to start over and all of this. These parts show up in friendships and work relationships, like all these realms of love. Maybe you're afraid to speak up or to hold boundaries or ask for what you need because you're worried that if you do, you'll lose something. The relationship, the job, the loss of love and belonging. Maybe with family, you're afraid to open up and have vulnerable conversations or to hold others accountable for bad behavior or whatever. Like so much of the self-protection mechanisms are fear-driven, scarcity-driven, and it's and they're about these like external reliance to to have what we want and need. So these are all, as I see it, ways that we hurt ourselves for love or our distorted notions of love, really. So many of us seem to be hustling for our worthiness around love and belonging and allowing ourselves breadcrumbs when we could be feasting. So parts work is something that I use personally. Again, it's more classical iteration, and then I've also adapted it to use with other coaching and healing work. And... Um, it's something that I use in my professional work. And I found it to be, in all these spaces, an immensely powerful framework. That just cultivating more of an understanding of some of the mechanisms of the psyche, like how things can show up, how to recognize when they're in play, is so helpful. And it's very empowering because we can do this with ourselves. This is not work that we have to go to a clinician, to a therapist or counselor or whatever to do. Though, of course, they can support these processes and many clinicians do, do uh, utilize this framework in their work. But it's also stuff that we can do on our own. 
So if you'd like to explore IFS, um, Dick recently released a book called No Bad Parts. The subtitle is Healing Trauma and Restoring Wholeness with the Internal Family Systems Model. And this book is really supportive in a couple of ways in terms of its organization. So it offers this, what I think is a great intro to an overview of IFS and how it works. And then also throughout the book, it includes um, exercises, practices that you can do to explore some of the related concepts from the chapters and like explore some of that in your own life and body. And he offers suggestions for protocols and things that you can also develop for your, for your own uh, healing journey and whatnot. So I listened to this on audiobook. So some, like some of the exercises were guided and others are more reflective writing kinds of things, but I can't speak to the print version and how that's laid out exactly. Um, but I think that he, but I think that he did a really great job with this format and this like, dipping toes in practical application sorts of things and that you don't have to have prior experience with IFS or even really somatic therapy work to explore. So I highly recommend this as an entry point if you would like to get more intimate with your unconscious in um, like using an established reliable um, framework. He does also have a book called Internal Family Systems Therapy, and this is like a deeper dive into more of the theoretical and the clinical applications and things. And it's also fascinating and an amazing resource. Um, okay, friends. So there's that. Uh, the last but not least thing that I want to share with you today is that very soon I'll be launching a virtual play shop series called Finding Love in the Dark. If that sounds familiar, yes, it's inspired by the title that I ended up giving to episode three. And I'm, I'm really excited to bring this offering forward. It's been one that I've been visioning for a really long time. Um, that, that's needed a good long while to incubate and develop. Like it's come, it's come alongside a lot of my personal and professional journey work and evolving of methodologies and things. And because of that, it's feeling pretty dang juicy. So this Finding Love series will be an embodiment series in three parts. And we'll, we'll be exploring some of this love cultivation work like I've been talking about today and we'll be focusing on the self and how to self-source love. So how to use different tools to access, awaken, evoke love within oneself and one's experience, and also exploring what inner aspects may be in the way of our receiving, surrendering to, trusting, expressing love. And through the weeks, we will be focusing on how to repattern our systems so our bodies, our nervous systems, our internal systems, so we can move in more supportive ways and embody more love and magnetize more of its fullness and expression in our lives. So it will look like me guiding you on these inner journeys through the body and the senses, using somatic visualization and coaching, and doing some of this parts work. There'll be reflection and journaling alongside some of that. 
and I will be guiding you in other ways somatically as well. So we'll use movement like dance, yoga, yogic stretching and flow type things, experimental music. Um, we'll explore through breath work and breath tending, sound, sound medicine and sounding practices and things. And we'll explore love also through creativity and play and sensually through the five senses and more yum, yummy things. So all these aspects, movement, breath, sound, play, mindfulness, etc., integrated to support feeling yourself and your body more fully and in that space, being better able to access and listen to what parts of you and your body are saying and what they need. And from there, being better resourced to support repatterning and change work. So while this is inner work and embodiment work, there'll be this communal aspect of sharing our stories our, and ourselves and witnessing each other. Because I understand that our feelings and stories are meant to be expressed. And that witnessed expression is healing. So just as we come by a lot of our wounds through relationship, we also heal through relationship. So the integration of this relational component into this series as well is really powerful. So there'll be these real-time therapeutic experiences and, and energy medicine work and things. And, and through this series, you'll also learn a number of tools and practices that you can use in your daily life to support healing your relationship to love and your body and to cultivate more love in these different areas. And some of these tools and practices will be offered as home play. So meaning things to do between our live sessions and they're all designed to support your learning, your integration, your healing. So finding love in the dark is about embodiment, exploring the unconscious and subconscious, nervous system healing, heart healing, self-sourcing and embodying more of the love that we all deserve and need for thriving. And we will have three sessions for this starting in March uh, Sundays with two weeks between each and then you'll have home play through the five six weeks and those who register early will get some cool bonuses and and some entries into a few different giveaways that I'm offering including some embodied home design and styling sessions and and all these extras on offer are designed to support what you'll be learning through the play shops so there's all that too um, love is for all of us, so finding love will be open to folks of all genders and expressions. So please join. Um, I'll be sharing more in the coming days and weeks on Instagram and Facebook via Instagram. So find me there at gray underscore Tanner, G-R-E-Y. And then I'll be sharing more here too, of course, but a lot of the nitty-gritty sign-up details and things will be on social. So, If you have a friend that you think might be interested in joining us in the play shop or here, please share the episode and all the things. And otherwise, just thank you for, as always, for slowing down for this long-form action, witnessing me 
all the things it matters and I'm still on this long journey home to love and as Ram Dass, the, or the words of Ram Dass, I should say, always remind me we're all just walking each other home. So thank you and until next time.